Pushkin. The most innovative companies are going further with T-Mobile for Business. The PGA of America is helping lower scores and elevate fan experiences with AI coaching tools and 5G-connected cameras. AAA is getting more drivers back on the road fast with location telematics. And the Las Vegas Grand Prix is powering race day operations with 5G connectivity, giving fans an experience at the speed they deserve. This is accelerating innovation with T-Mobile for Business. Take your business further at tmobile.com slash now. Did you know some travel credit cards offer 10 times points on your spending? Don't miss out on big rewards for your next trip. NerdWallet lets you compare smart travel credit cards side by side, curated by an expert team of finance nerds. What could future you do with better travel rewards? A free flight? A room upgrade? Don't wait to make smart financial decisions. Compare and find smarter credit cards, savings accounts, and more today at nerdwallet.com. Reminder, credit is subject to lender approval and terms apply. NerdWallet. Finance smarter. What if AI could help your business deliver mission-critical outcomes with speed? With IBM Consulting, your business can design, build, and scale trusted AI using Watson X and modernize the way you work to accelerate real impact. Let's create AI that transforms your business. Learn more at ibm.com slash consulting. IBM, let's create. We don't normally do bonus episodes. Uh, putting out one podcast every week already takes plenty of time and energy from a whole bunch of our team members. But something interesting happened, uh, which is one day I woke up uh, a couple weeks ago, probably late. I'm going to be honest. I probably woke up late. I have a hard time getting out of bed before 9.30, 10 a.m. in this pandemic. I'm not complaining, but it's something I need to work on. That's not the point. I woke up and I realized six, seven, eight friends of mine all have new projects coming out. Despite the quarantine, despite the pandemic, these are projects uh, that these folks have been working on for, for years, sometimes many years. And it dawned on me that if I'm not going to support my pals with new projects in this time, then what the hell am I doing here? So usually this show is a conversation between me and a complete stranger, someone I do not know, someone I admire and respect, yes, but someone I had no prior interaction with. Uh, and I love that dynamic. It feels like anything can happen. There's a kind of fear and curiosity embedded in that dynamic that I love and it's why I've been doing it for four years. But today's bonus episode is not exactly like that. Uh, the two folks I'm having on today are people I've known for many years now. Uh, both of them are filmmakers, Terrence Nance and Malik Vital. Terrence is the creator of Random Acts of Flyness, now streaming on HBO. He also directed one of my favorite films of the past 10 years called Oversimplification of Her Beauty, 
please uh, go back and check out his work. Uh, he's made a whole bunch of wonderful short films. Random Acts on HBO is fantastic. And like I said, Oversimplification with Her Beauty, which you can get a free copy of if you buy his new record, Things I Never Had. Uh, you can do that at terrence.bandcamp.com. He's not just a filmmaker. He somehow is also a good musician. I don't know how he does it. He's truly a multi-hyphenate talent and artist. He's our first call. And then after Terrence, I'm calling up my pal Malik Vital. He has a new film out called Body Cam, starring Mary J. Blige and Nat Wolf. You can buy it right now on iTunes and Amazon for the same price you would pay for one ticket at a movie theater. You can own the movie. Uh, and since, you know, we cannot go to the movie theaters right now, or in most parts of this country, we cannot go to the movie theaters, uh, this is a really good way to support smart, independent filmmaking. Malik made a fantastic film uh, a few years ago called Imperial Dreams. Um, Body Cam is equally excellent. So if you have not seen it, if you've not heard about it, uh, it's called Body Cam. You can check it out on iTunes and Amazon right now. Support independent artists while you can. If you can, it means the world to us. It means the world to me. And uh, yeah. Thank you for being here. I'll see you back later this week with Holland Taylor. For now, let's call up Terrence. Hello, hello. Terrence, this is Sam. How are you doing? Um, I'm not okay. But I don't think that I am in an unmanageable amount of suffering or pain. I think that I'm in the flow of the moment of suffering and grieving that the whole world is in. When we started this, uh, we were texting and you were like, I'm doing great. I'm healthier than ever. <laughs> and I remember thinking, Oh my God, you are so positive right now. Um, where, just tell me what, what has changed? What's going on? Uh, you know, millions of people have died. <laughs> I think that we'll start there. I, not that I didn't anticipate that, but I think that there's something about the just the amount of transitioning that has happened. Yeah, it, it it takes a toll. But yeah, it's a lot of grief, a lot of grieving, and and not just on the front of COVID, you know, like. But I think for Black people, you know, it's laid bare the the white supremacy in the in the healthcare system, and you know, people in my family have passed away or. or suffered at the hands of the the discrimination, you know, and the bias. I think it was always there, but it's front page news every day for months. You know, it's very different. Um, you can't disassociate on any level ever. You know, they always say, like, in a traumatic situation, fight, flight, freeze, or sleep uh -huh. is a survival mechanism. You know, you can't survive highly traumatic things if you're totally awake and aware. So I think that there has been a disassociation, a freeze or flight tool that isn't as available. It doesn't feel as available in a way um, as a very natural coping mechanism to medical healthcare system violence. And and this is not to say that like doctors and nurses aren't heroes and not, but the 
macro context is uh, bias discriminatory and, and thus violent. How has your family gotten through it? Because you're in L.A. right now, right? Yeah, I'm in L.A., you know. I have, a, I have family in L.A. as well, and, you know. I'm, but I think everybody, no matter where you are, even if I was down the street from my mom's house or here, we still wouldn't be able to see each other. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like, it's very, you know, the isolation is, um, it brings up how important contact is, especially with your elders, you know. But you've always been a kind of isolationist, I've always felt. <laughs> I am the person in every group of friends like, I don't know where Terrence is. <laughs> it's just Aquarianness, you know. I think people would definitely say I'm introverted or I have a um isolationist streak for sure. Yeah, that's especially true when we're playing basketball. You will not pass the ball. <laughs> ISO all day. I thought my best skill was passing. No, no, no. It actually is. It actually is. I'm a distributor at the end of the day. You're a distributor. There are too many times where you shouldn't be passing, but you do. <laughs> that's that's what I draw joy from, you know. I'm I'm more of a a magic than a whoever, you know. A Jordan? A Jordan, obviously. But the liner notes uh on Bandcamp, I was reading them uh, after listening to the record. We were talking about the absence of things, and I, I just want to quote from this because it's really good. Uh, you wrote, "Do you often miss things you've never had? Experiences, people, abilities, qualities, foods and drinks, etc., and what have you? These four songs and the rumination therein may be, is, and will be yours. Is yours, rest assured. Do you feel like it's about longing for something you don't have?" Insofar as it's about any one thing, I think one of the things that's it's within it is the strain of um, creating a roles and narratives, fantasies um, around my identity, my ego, or my concept of myself in relationships or with making art or whatever. They are stories. They're not necessarily facts. And I think that in the releasing of the stories about your ego, there's like a little residual longing for like the comfort of that, you know? If you're always thinking about like, oh man, I want to just have this life like where I'm a big director and I've got a family and this many kids and whatever your little dream is. (laughs) And then like the moment you kind of let that go, then you realize that you had the narrative you had created around it, you were so good at fantasizing about it that you missed this thing that never happened. Was that the dream? Is that the dream for you? I wouldn't say what, I mean, I I definitely was kind of saying a stock dream, but I think that, you know, some intersection of my ego and how I've been socialized and things like that, I think I definitely have been programmed to aspire to like hyper-capitalist markers of success <laughs> you know what I mean and you know hyper patriarchal markers of success I don't necessarily have I'm more trying to work on being in the present and creating like goals around which I can I have a lot of enthusiasm but not um fantasies that are derived from my programming if that makes sense it does it's funny because you've always struck me as someone who's aware of the hyper-capitalistic structures, but someone who ultimately didn't subscribe to them. Yeah, I mean, I don't think there's anywhere on planet Earth that one can exist in a society. 
in a state of total divestment or even significant divestment from just capitalism. Just because, I mean, I, I guess maybe somewhere in Papua New Guinea in the middle of the forest, but, <laughs> but even with that, like, who knows, you What's know. What's happening down there? Yeah, I, you know, I'm definitely ignorant, so I wouldn't know that, but I don't think there's a an inch of our known socialized human existence that is totally divested. Um, and I, I think... Also, I just think about the fact that we call it capitalism, but, you know, at least in America, this is not a capitalist country. You know, this is a socialism for rich white people country. So it's like a very specific dynamic where the dogma of capitalism is like talked about or put forth, but our laws are not capitalist. You know what I mean? In mm-hmm. that sense, like we're not we're not deeply invested in individualism. We're just invested in helping rich white people to maintain power, you know. And, th- and that's that's pretty well documented, you know. So I don't I don't even think that like the internal battle is as simple as like there's this bad thing called capitalism. Let's divest from it, like because it's right. We're not even really. It's not even really that. If it was capitalism, it was just like, which is essentially kind of like a type of anarchy in my understanding of it. It's like, do whatever the fuck you want. Just make get this money. and But anybody yeah. can do it. You know what I mean? <laughs> There's a level playing field. Yeah, it's a level playing field because, you know, you got theoretically two legs and a brain. Like, whatever. I'm as compromised as anybody born into this system. How How have you reconciled making art... Uh, adjacent to or with the help of rich white people? I think it's like my my um, interaction isn't so much with quote-unquote people as it is with companies. <laughs> I don't know why that made me laugh. It just did. <laughs> it makes it sound It makes it sound like people aren't working at the companies. Yeah, people are. But, you know, like I think the, the, the question kind of made me think of like, are any of these actual people? Like I don't really know, you know. Right. I mean? but, but I think like... The companies or like the entities, I think that are designed to generate a mo- lot of money, retain it, hyper profitable situations, seemingly all successful companies, seemingly all successful media companies, operate in a uh, scarcity dynamic, which is we have a limited or the scarce amount of time and money to make a thing that then needs to because it was made in that scarcity dynamic, we'll be able to perform from a profit potential standpoint because of how mindful we were and how absolutely we brought the energy of scarcity to the endeavor of making the thing. And, you know, when a company that makes billions of dollars goes to me or anybody and says, hey, we have a limited amount or can't do that because <laughs> there's only this amount. You know, I have attempted to cult- to cultivate an energetic of abundance, which I think is is, is just deeply, it, it's an oil and water conversation with the energetic of sc- scarcity. With uh, the purchase of this record, uh it's like three dollars and thirty-five cents, or something, right? Or what the, what the hell is it? It's 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 some ridiculously small amount. And when with it comes a link to oversimplification of her beauty, why did you tie those two together? 
Well, you know, I wanted to celebrate the, um, it's the seventh anniversary of oversimplification coming out. And um, it was a very transformative moment for me. Um, and I think it was the moment I felt most vulnerable just as a being, just putting something out into the world in a way that like engaged and opened myself up to interacting around an entity, a sentient thing, you know, the movie in that case, that was not me, <laughs> but it's like a thing that came through me. It's partly you. Yeah, you know, when it comes through you, things rub off. But I think there was a, there's a lot of similarities just between that moment and what that gesture was for me, what that feeling was, you know, my first movie, and this is my first EP. So I think it was like, I wanted to celebrate them together. And also practically, like uh, almost all of the songs were written around the time the movie came out. Some of the songs are in the movie mm -hmm. um, in different forms. So I think that they're in the same world. You know, What does that film mean to you now at this point in your life? It means a lot. I watched it recently on that live stream, on Tyler Mitchell's live stream. Shout out to Tyler Mitchell, who put, out, put together this really amazing um, curated sort of showcase of work online. Uh, called Tyler Mitchell's Night at the Cinema, and the, the um, theme was Sanctuaries. And it was, you know, myself, Jatavi and my ace, uh, <laughs> Jen and Kiru, my ace, Uma Kroma member, you know, Solange, Ramel Ross, uh, Lulu Wang, Kalika La, a lot of great, great people. Um, I'm sure I'm missing a few people, but it was it was just amazing to watch. And watching it, I think, in that context was really interesting because, you know, people were commenting and I, I was realizing how much of what got said in the film, what I was saying about my situation at the time, how unnervingly relevant it felt and feels to my current emotional moment, specifically around just some of the habits I noticed in myself when I, when I felt in love or in a charged situation, negotiating connection. And I, I was both struck by how, quote unquote, wise I seemed to myself so much later, but also <laughs> how I was very disappointed in myself that I, not that I haven't learned the lessons that are on display because I don't behave in those ways, but that some of the same neuroses and insecurities still kind of spin around. And it has some, some of that stuff was communicated in ways that felt like almost like Easter eggs I sent to myself. Like things I don't think anyone else, like there's just little visual moments that I knew exactly what I was talking about when nobody, like I kind of maybe intentionally shrouded it in some sort of like code. Um, and I think some of the more abstract moments in the film are kind of like clearly just me only talking to a later version of myself, you know? <laughs> It's just like, you know, when you take a picture of yourself or a, a journal entry, it's a way of creating some sort of accountability to the moment, to the person you were, so that you grow from that moment, maybe, or you progress, or you just understand, it, continue to understand it, um, as opposed to forgetting it or allowing it to um, kind of float into an oblivion. So I think it is that, it's a gesture towards accountability in a way. So if we're looking at that gesture and that portrait of you in that time, how would you say you've grown and how would you say you haven't grown? It's strange. I think I regressed or, or in a very specific way, which I can't really remember. Well, 
I do know that over the years, I didn't know what and how corrosive engaging and defensive responses was. I, I don't think the movie was necessarily from a defensive place, but I just know that in terms of the grown, what have I grown through and not grown through? I think the thing that I've struggled with and gone in both directions since then has just been reacting defensively or having to like go through the whole thing of like why a thing happened, you know, uh-huh. um, in order to make myself feel protected from an accusation or my perceive, perceive myself to have been attacked or accused or judged, you know, um, when all that shit is totally just the ego, a defensive egoic response and, and destructive, you know, being, you know, patterning being defensive is like, we'll chip away at any connection. I think my, uh, shortcomings in relationships is that I, uh, when I'm defensive, I immediately pivot to uh, my mother's like lawyer self. All, all, all of a sudden, you were professionally every defensive. <laughs> yeah, yeah, she was professionally defensive. She got paid, and uh, I just inherited some of that. So I'll get into arguments, and I'm like, "Well, actually, uh, in the fall of 2012, oh, shit, you bring it up. <laughs> <laughs> I do the same shit." That's like my vibe, like, and I do that, like, I'm self-righteous because I got a good memory, you know? Like. Yeah. I say that all the time. I have a really good memory. That's yeah, actually like, about me. <laughs> it's like, Naima put me up on this book, The New Earth, Eckhart Tolle, and he says something like, when you're being defensive, it does not matter if you are right at all. <laughs> it does not matter once you are in a defensive response. He's essentially implying you are now in an egoic, unhelpful, destructive response. Like, it doesn't even matter if the thing you're defending was like, yes, I know the facts, and I'm on the right day, and this is the day that it happened, blah, blah, blah. You know, you just, right. you're a Muppet yeah. doing an a ego dance, yeah, essentially. You, you're immediately guilty once you pivot to that tone. <laughs> it's a horrible thing. That's true. I mean, I think l- releasing the music was definitely an exercise in trying to dissolve my ego around the concept of it being right, finished, in step with like who I am now versus who I, like all this negotiation around because mm-hmm. even that that concept of rightness is so broad righteousness and um and wrongness too you know all the self denial that comes with when I feel ashamed of having done something quote unquote wrong or incorrect you know and a lot of spirit guides a lot of people came into my life and were like yo just do this just now you know what I mean and I think a lot of that was related to just, you know the music itself coming out but also just related to discarding some of the energies that were like not serving me I was listening to it this morning uh, on a walk with the dog and again I'm just reading it and you can tell me if I'm wrong but I, I, I listened to it and I thought Oh man, you had to put this out as a way to release and break free from the last couple of years, especially the last year. It's been hard, but you know, I think it's also been a gift in a lot of ways. I think, I think the album was definitely about more than it was about my whole life almost. Um, the EP, you know, I have an album that's going to be done pretty soon, and I think putting that out is going to even be <laughs> a bigger release of that same. Period. But I think also, uh, hopefully, I'm, I'm starting to even reframe my language of like releasing and maybe more like a celebration because 
one thing I'm just trying to do in my life is let go of or disengage from my own resentments, you know, especially things I've perceived have been, have been situations in which I, I experienced myself as having been wronged or quote unquote victimized or anything like that, or yeah, I'm just trying to challenge myself to re-see all those narratives outside of the lens of resentment, you know? And I think the music, hopefully, especially just like the sonic palette of it is like healing for me in that yeah. way. And like, even if there are maybe stories that have some sort of despair or confusion, that there's still gifts, you know what I mean? There's still like, there's a healing and learning energetic that's vibrating through through them that hopefully enables like whatever is being released to be celebrated. I looked up two things before talking to you, uh, emails that we had sent. This time last year was like, it's almost been exactly a year since I visited you on set. And I remember going, we never talked about this because when we play basketball, it's just about basketball <laughs> and it's just easier to, to play basketball. But I remember watching you like on that set in Warner Brothers directing LeBron. And I was like, man, I didn't know you had it in you, but it was so clear the moment you were doing it. I was like, yeah, you can do this. And I, I always believed in you, which is not to say it. Thanks. <laughs> no, no, but it was just seeing your friend do that. And you're like, yeah, he's exactly where he ought to be. And so when it, when that shit happened, I did wonder how did you put the pieces back together for yourself after that? I don't, I don't even know. Maybe they're not totally together yet. <laughs> but, <laughs> um, but, you know, thank you for saying that. You know, I, I definitely... I guess what I what I do know is that I was around a lot of really great people in that moment. All the people working on the movie, um, obviously LeBron, and I had a pervasive faith and belief in the potency of what we were making, and. Um, what I believe is still being made. You know, I don't know what, what's going on with the movie now or anything like that, but I believed in it. I still believe in it. I think that that belief in the potency of the, of the, of the thing and hopefully the fact that there was a lot of people bringing through the energy of, you know, making it something that was really going to transform. Hmm children, hopefully, you know, in a lot of ways. I think that that was a lot of why I could be in acceptance and remain in acceptance of what the state of being of quote unquote me, the project is and became. And I think acceptance, when something isn't pleasant, acceptance is the only acceptable modality. <laughs> it's still happening, so you have to accept it. Um, and that's a super broad thing, but I think that it's a, it's a lesson that Referencing the new earth again, it was, I think it says that there's only three modalities to engage the present moment, acceptance, enthusiasm, and enjoyment. And obviously you hope you're enjoying it when <laughs> shit goes awry or doesn't go how you thought. Mm -hmm. But if you can't enjoy it and you can't have enthusiasm around it, then you got to accept it, you know? 
And surrender, surrender, you know, there's a lot that any person doesn't control. But, you know, one big gift of that whole experience and every experience, but that experience was clarity that I was fully where I was supposed to be, you know? And I, wherever I'm at is where I'm supposed to be, but just making what I was making at the scale I was making, it was exactly where I was supposed to be. I was going to ask you, what did you learn about yourself as a filmmaker from that experience? I don't know what I learned about myself yet. I guess I don't know what I learned that was new. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> you, can, you can reiterate old lessons. That's fine. Yeah. I think a big lesson that came just from the time of like really, because Random Acts was happening in, you know, still sort of editing it and putting it out as um, Space Jam was starting. And it's something I'm still learning, but just that the, speaking to Random Acts in that moment, in that moment, you know, our tagline was shift consciousness. The thing I learned most is that the central intention of a process or, or a project is actually, is like a lighthouse, is like a guiding light, is really mm -hmm. important, but it can't be, can't be prescribed. It can only be listened to. And what I mean by that is like, I think it's very difficult to go in and say, this is what we're making and this is what it means. This is the sentence that describes our intention. I think you can do that and one should start with that. But the thing, you know, whether it's Random Max, Space Jam, any project, especially something that requires a lot of heads, a lot of hands coming from, from different experiences, it's going to end, end up with its own consciousness, you know, its own sentience, and it's going to tell you <laughs> what it is and what its intention is, and you have to be willing to submit to it. And I think that's a macro thing people say about most movies. Like, oh, it'll tell you what it is, but I, I'm, I mean, the the micro aspect of it is it'll tell you what it's theme its theme statement is it'll tell you what his value system is and then sometimes if his value system is something that you can't usher through you gotta you gotta take it back seat or leave or do whatever you need to do and i think we often talk about movies as products of people as opposed to as their own beings i read something about how like the the universe is there's a theory that says the universe is self-simulating <laughs> which Basically, there is, you know, most things are not actually material. They're, you know, waves and particles or whatever. There's theoretically organizing consciousness that's like authoring it. But that organizing consciousness is it. So it's like self-realizing, self-simulating. And I think that that's sort of how we understand human life, at least. Like, oh, you're a, you're a thing that's thinking of itself and bringing, you know, in a way. Mm -hmm. Um, but, and that's why you are. And I think movies are the same or anything is the same way, you know, but I think that pieces of art are, are they, that's why they have names, I guess. Um, please tell the people where they can find all the things for you. Terrence.bandcamp.com right now for, uh, the things I never had EP. T-E-R-E-N-C-E dot bandcamp.com. One R no A, strange spelling of Terrence. Yeah. I used to spell it wrong. That's <laughs> fine. Everybody did it's um check out the ep if you uh if you buy it on bandcamp you get a free download of an oversimplification of her beauty yeah hope you like it i think people will like it yeah people will like it right yeah why not they need something uh soothing and healing in this time so uh congratulations on the record season one of random acts of flyness is available on hbo terrence nance Thank you. 
Thank you. Thank you for being a friend. That was Terrence. He's one of the smartest, uh, most spiritual people I know. His EP, Things I Never Had, is really excellent and healing. And you can check that out at terrence.bandcamp.com. Next up, we're going to call up my friend Malik Vital. He's the director of Body Cam, a supernatural police thriller starring Mary J. Blige and Nat Wolf. You can find it out on Amazon and iTunes right now. I hope you're having a safe week, wherever you are, whoever you are. And uh, it's our hope here at Talk Easy that these conversations are helping you get by. So after the break, after just a little bit more of this loop of music that I love, we'll call it Malik. Okay. You know what I miss? Yeah. Basketball. <laughs> we should be playing right now. We should be playing right now. You know what I miss more than anything is hockey. I know. I can never I, I can never miss that with you because I never played. It's like basketball, but it's eight times better. By better, you mean more physical and more conducive to how you play basketball, which is basically like <laughs> hockey. By better, I mean it's more of a chess match, uh-huh. and it utilizes more of your human experience. So yeah, the physical part is part of it, but there's still all the strategy involved. So, you know, I just play basketball that way because it allows me to use more of my whole human body. Mm-hmm. Sure, I play like I'm supposed to be in the 70s, but... <laughs> <laughs> and by the way, for people listening... Um, we are in a basketball game every Sunday afternoon, exactly at this time that we're recording. Um, Malik takes it upon himself every Sunday without fail to guard me. And we don't know why he chooses to guard me. Out of all the people, he has to guard me every week. Well, it's it's because, and by the way, thank you so much for sharing and opening up this space to me and all of us that are with us. Um, it's because you're a damn good basketball player. And <laughs> if no one covers you, if the proper person doesn't cover you, then we lose. So, and then also you, once, once someone starts putting, you know, a little, um, a little weight on you, then your game changes, you know? And so like, if someone's not leaning on you, then you'll just run all over them and just, you know, you end up getting half your team's points and then you lose for sure. So it's just kind of simple mathematics. Like I go, all right, well, Sam's going to score all their points. So let's start with Sam. You basically uh, ensure that I can't go inside. I I can't drive, which is really the thing I'm best at. Yeah, it's simple mathematics. 
But I was just reading something about um, Phil Jackson because he's one of my favorite people on the planet. And he was talking about how um, in ancient, like, uh, native civilization, they would find, like, some of the angriest tribal people or angriest warriors and kind of get them to really kind of be able to focus and sit in that anger and become more mentally tough. And then those were the people that end up being like the tribe's leaders and stuff. Mm-hmm. And um, it just makes me think back to like um, the the people I really loved basketball-wise or even sports-wise or like the people that were kind of a blend of everything. But, you know, that's how you win championships. You got to keep the Sams of the world off the glass. <laughs> you know, in a lot of ways, you share similarities to Phil Jackson. You are a deeply spiritual, zen-like person, as I know you, despite the way you play basketball and the way you play hockey, um, which is deeply physical. You do have this kind of even-keel mental stability, and I was thinking about it and watching your movie this weekend. How do you think that applies to your abilities as a filmmaker? Maybe about, you know, it was a while back because, I you know, I grew up in a very spiritual community. And a while back, I was talking to one of my, one of, there's a lot of mothers there that supported us growing up. And, um, you know, I was just talking to one of them and I said, you know, before every shoot day, I meditate and it really centers me. And she said, well, why don't you just meditate before every day? And I was like, oh, because the shoot days are so important. And then, you know, later that day, I kind of was, you know, sitting with myself. And I was like, well, maybe I should do it every day. And I think, you know, it, it, it asks so much of you. And if I'm in the proper headspace, I try to make it like an offering. And I try to create from that place of, like, devotion, you know, and if I can do that, I'm always okay with whatever I make. Um, it's when I'm not in that space that things aren't as good. But then I learned something else. But that's what I learned from watching a lot of the artists around me when I was younger is that, you know, they weren't making things for resale or, you know, a certain audience or anything. They were just pouring out their hearts with love. And I try to come from that space. But, uh, you know, I also try to do that in basketball and hockey. You know, it's the same thing. But, you know, that's also a space for me to let my primal side come out. You know, I think it's a lifelong struggle for me to really be able to harness the side of me that can easily get too overly aggressive, which doesn't really show up in filmmaking because I'm used to, in hockey, someone trying to end me and filmmaking it's chill if someone yells at me i'm like it's fine like or if someone's having a bad day like i can hold the space for them because you know that's what we do it's just like life you know it's like living with your partner or your housemates or your children it's like people have good days bad days and yeah so filmmaking is i feel like a space for ultimately spiritual growth And you want each thing that you do to kind of be a reflection of that. Or, you know, and a lot of times that's your growth as as a person. You know, it's like for like this one, it was like, why am I attracted to this film, Body Cam? And it was like, 
I love this character. It reminds me of my mother. I'd love to see, you know, a strong woman like her on the screen. You know, my mom raised me on her own, and she had her own um, private practice as a physical therapist, and she was just hustling. She did a little bit of everything, but she still was, like, very focused on her service to her community and everything. Um, and I was like, that's cool. I want to see a character like that. But then on a deeper sense, I was like, you know what? I hate horror films. Absolutely hate them. And I was like, why do I hate them? And when I was, I don't know, six years old, my cousin out in Inglewood, you know, trapped me in her bedroom and, you know, we were watching um, American Werewolf in London and, you know, we watched the first 10 minutes or so and I'm like, you know, I was into it. And then she left the room, turned the lights off and then locked me in a room. And then I kept watching. And then when the movie went sideways with all this existential horror shit, I was just like, my mind couldn't compute it. And I, it just, for that moment in time, broke me. And then from, I was like, you know what? I'm not watching these anymore. It's too much. I can't <laughs> handle it. And then all the way until now, I don't watch horror films. I hate them. People are like, hey, you want to go see? No, thank you. And then I had to examine that and go, why do I hate horror films? I am living by this narrative that was constructed years ago, and I need to re-examine it. So then I started watching horror films, which was hard for me, you know, because I had to watch them with the sound off and everything first, and then eventually going to the theaters and watching them. Then I was like, wow, this is incredible. This is a whole other way to engage with audiences that I haven't had access to. Then I was like, I got to make this film. I got to figure out how to do these things, just mainly to get over the fear. What did you learn about making a movie on this scale? Because you were talking about being able to hold everyone's problems kind of in the palm of your hand in in a zen-like way. You know, that's one of the reasons I love Phil Jackson is because his whole thing is let everyone be who they are, but still create a system for them to follow. And it's hard to let people be who they are, but we choose them for a reason. And, you know, I don't know if this was an enormous film. It was, it's a film that's, you know, bigger than my last film, but in a way it still has a lot of the same kind of, you know, my first film was 20 Days, Imperial Dreams, and this, this film was 25 Days. So in a way they were a similar philosophy-wise of, you know, it's just a full-on sprint. Every day is a full day. Yeah, every day is a full day, but I probably couldn't answer this until I did like 10 films, you know, to really be able to break it down. But, you know, it felt pretty much the same. But there's new things in terms of set pieces and the time that you need for those. New things in terms of developing a supernatural creature and how that works on set and in post new things in terms of working with, you know, VFX and special effects on set and then in post um, and that workflow, new things in terms of also having a studio as your partner alongside the producers who, you know, are additional storytellers in the process that you are pitching to ideas to along the way. 
maybe because we started with basketball, we'll just keep up with all the basketball analogies. <laughs> it's going to be different every time. And you just try to, you know, listen to what it is each time and, you know, go from there. You've, you've told me before that one of the reasons you think they wanted you, I think it was Paramount, that they wanted you to make this film. But you said, you know, the thing that I offer is that these people just want someone that's not a pain in the ass to hang out with. <laughs> Which is not something I think filmmakers ever talk about publicly. So like, I'm, I'm curious because I know a lot of people listening do want to make movies. Yeah. Where are you at on that? You know, it's, it's, you know, we're living a life here and this, this, what we make is not like, you know, it doesn't take a couple days, but it's like, you know, say when you build your house, you know, you're looking for, you know, the contractor that listens to you that you want to spend time with and you want that person to also take your vision to the next level and like be really good at what they do. So it hits a lot of different angles, but you're with the person so much. So it's like picking a, you know, partner, you know, you're picking a partner. So, you know, that person ends up meeting your family that, you know, that you end up, if things go right, becoming part of your family. Right. I think of it in terms of like people I want to build my life with. It goes, you know, both ways for the, you know, the people on sitting in every chair. It's like, do you want to spend two, three years with this person? Do they have the same? <laughs> yeah, because that's you end up spending that much time with the person. Do they have the same kind of outlook as you do? And I really gelled with Matt Kaplan, the producer of this, and like Rob and Marshall. Like originally, they brought me in because they were just, you know, and they met with everybody, and they were they were open, and they were like, you know what, we like hanging with you, and I was like, same, I like hanging out with you guys, and you know, even Kaplan, who was there every day on set. It's like even when we weren't shooting, we're like going to get pedicures together. We're going to play basketball together. We're, you know, going and lifting together. And while we're doing all these other things or like getting dinner, he meets my father and my family and I meet his family. We're getting pedicures. We're playing basketball. (laughs) You know, especially if you're going on location, you you get to know people. And, you know, that's that's a huge part of making something that can reach past its promise is everyone giving themselves and creating something bigger than one individual. And for that to happen, chemistry needs to happen. And for the first part of that is like the trust. And so you got to want to be able to hang out with somebody because if you don't want to, you know, chill with somebody, then that's one of the first levels into, you know, start starting the process. Let's talk about um, the actual content of what's in this movie for a second Watching it, I, I will say, the thing that was painful, and it's an obvious statement, but it but it's probably worth bringing up, is that um, seeing, you know, um, the kind of trenchant warfare between cops and civilians, especially right now, um, and seeing black kids uh, getting shot in a film. Um, it's impossible to watch that, even though it is a horror film, even though it is supernatural, even though I'm on the couch watching something on iTunes. It's impossible to disconnect or disassociate from what's been happening. They are inextricably linked. I imagine 
you were uh, unpacking your own feelings about what's happening in this country while making this movie. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. I mean, that is the ultimate horror. Unfortunately, the conversation has not um, developed to that next stage. And, you know, so, you know, as we kind of talked about before, is just put this um, same conversation into a, a different medium or and let the audience ingest it in a different way so that, you know, it does hit on all the different types of notes that a horror film hits on, but also the social horrors that are reflected right now in our, in our, in our nation. I mean, how do we um, move this conversation forward? And the other day was reading something about this is the first, one of the first ages where the young people are almost as smart as the elders. And I don't know if it's created some kind of imbalance where with that comes uh, a different belief system. And typically what happened is the elders passed on beliefs and principles. Wisdom. And wisdom and faith that was continued to, you know, that was a thing. And with that came a lot of respect for others and, you know, community and mindfulness that we don't have a abundance of in our current social structure. And so, yeah, it, you know, it'd be nice to get back to that place where those were some of the foundations of um, our communities. Because, you know, once we do that, then it's a little harder to do these acts because you feel more connected to everybody. And, you know, right now everyone's, which rightfully so, everyone is kind of every person for themselves. And when that happens, uh, fear can easily take over and anger can take over. And then we get some of these horrific acts that are happening. That it's just not, I mean, we've talked about a lot aside from basketball. And I wondered, because you did just have a kid, are you thinking about, you know, how your child's going to enter and exist in the world more than ever? Someone, a friend of mine said, uh, you know, they read something about how we're one of the last generations that's going to have the planet as it is. And what's going to happen in the next 30, 60, 100 years to this planet? And there's going to be a point where it doesn't matter what you look like or whatever it is. Kind of similar to now, it's like it's just surviving. And we're going to need people to, again, hold that space of like that wisdom and bring people together. Um. And growing up around all groups of people, you know, because, you know, I spent my early years around all black people and then we moved to all, you know, around all white people. And it was a culture shift for sure. And what, what it gave me was the ability to kind of hang out with everybody, but also just, you know, I was taught every religion, so I don't. I try not to separate, although 
I want to still embrace everything because everyone's traditions and cultures are valid. Like I don't, I like the uh, the Canadian version where it's everyone still really holds on to their background and brings that to the world. And I think everyone should do that. We can find a way to move forward. So you know, for for my child, I, I'm hoping she can kind of help with what's coming next because it's going to be quite wild and it's going to be beyond, beyond like what someone looks like, you know. By the way, speaking of um, being in a place with mostly white people, you and I met at Sundance, mostly white people. Mm. I was hoping you would laugh at that joke. Um, <laughs> it's fine. We'll move on. I, 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 I thought it was really good. Um, I think part of understanding um, your path to, to making the film you just made and to being a father now is that you had this film at Sundance called Imperial Dreams that was really fantastic. What's interesting is that I think you made that film, you edited it, you worked on it in post-production, you put your whole heart, body, and mind into it. It played at the festival. It did well at the festival. And what happened afterward in the life after the movie played for strangers, I don't think it's what you anticipated, right? No, but I kind of, you know, again, getting back to where my sweet spot is, is creating an offering. That's really my sweet spot. When I get outside of that, like creating from a place of devotion or something that's really like pouring out of me, this is what I want to work on as a man. I want to work on my anger issues. Okay, so how do I, you know, build that into this character? I want to work on this. How do I build this into a character? If I'm coming from that place, everything's fine. Years before Imperial Dreams, I tried to make a movie and it was clearly a movie just because it wanted to be made and those were the intentions behind it and it never cut off the ground and I was thankful that it didn't work. Although at the time, it was heartbreaking. Once I was into Imperial Dreams, who, which showed me that I have to have everything in it. Otherwise, I just won't have the muster to get up that final hill or you know break through those walls that are presented. So that taught me a lot. And after Imperial Dreams, I was very comfortable in staying in that space of like, okay, let me try this project, you know, writing this TV show that I was passionate about, that I'm actually picking back up again now, that just didn't have the legs then at the time. Um, and also a lot of it was the education of what comes with working with new partners, with going out and meeting with new partners and pitching them and learning how to pitch on a higher level of actually just getting better. Getting better at storytelling was a large part of that process. And I'd written another project that, um, you know, we took to a lab in Italy and that that was starting to go, and then it just kind of faded. This is around the time when, you know, dramas weren't as interesting. And I was trying to make it for too big a price tag. 
And I think that's also part of the education. You know, if I'd have found a way to make it for, you know, less than a couple million, then I probably would have been shooting it. But when you make it, oh, it's got to be something that's, you know, 10 million, then there's not a lot of $10 million films being made. So that was part of that education of, you know, I kind of went into it blindly as an artist where I was like, I could do this, I can push this through, I can get the right person on, it's going to be such an amazing script, it's really important to me. And it just, you know, the business side of it bumped up against it and it wasn't its time. So people were pretty clear, like, oh, how much do you want to make this for? Oh, we love it, but we don't see it. And then from there, I, I'm fortunate to start up a career also making commercials and that has been glorious because, it, you know, it's got me on set and I've been able to work with larger teams and toys and learn new things and develop. Again, just kind of work on your jump shot. And then through that process, landed on, uh, on body cam and then went straight into that. So I guess what's not talked about is the continuous development that happens. Yeah, that it, that it doesn't just all happen at once. Oh, which is, um, you know, and back to like my sports background, I think it's appropriate. I always just wanted to have like just be solid fundamentally. Like in terms of hockey, you know, the hardest thing in hockey to do at like the next level is skating. Like skating is the foundation of hockey. If you can't skate well, you can't keep up with the pace of the game. And the better the people are, the faster the tempo is. And so you have to make decisions faster. You have to be able to skate better and, you know, keep up with the play. And I pretty much the same thing in filmmaking. I think writing is the foundation of storytelling. Uh, writing and then also communicating your ideas. And the communication of the ideas, that takes time to develop and you get better at it as you go where you can, you know, commercials really helped because we'd have to make these elaborate pitches in a short amount of time. And, you know, initially when I started making films, you know, someone's like, oh, can you pitch and make this and this and this and this? And you are kind of reticent to be able to do it because you just, you just don't do it as often. Now, because I do it so often, it's become a fluent language for me, um, which helps. Because now, you know, initially when I was pitching for films that our agents brought us, I would, you know, I'd pitch and do a little bit, but I didn't go all out. Now I'm just like, if I love something, I just want to pour everything into it. And by the way, like, I'm also learning about these other directors that are putting $50,000 into a pitch for a film. And I'm going, oh, this is not directly the reason why they got it. But if you can have the ability to show your vision that much more in detail, then it helps you become, you know, it helps separate you. You know, it's like reading that initial Bible that David Simon created for The Wire. Right. And you read that and you go, it's not a mistake that he made something that was so compelling and such a, a wonderful examination of the American experiment because he engineered it that way. Yeah. And for me, 
coming from like a family of engineers, that's something I I love. You know, it's like, okay, what's the philosophical side of it? What's the larger social impact of it? What's the debatable question? What's the coding? What's the coding? What are what is that new thing that we're actually saying about this world that we're presenting? You know, you asked me about how do I feel about, you know, race relations coming up, you know, in our world. I'm like, I think they're very important. I think it's, um, but, you know, if I'm going to say something new about it, I'm, I'm just, you know, it's, we're getting to a place where if something terrible happens to this planet and there's a lot less people on it, yeah, that'll be one of the things that won't be as important. It'll, you know, it'll be about survival. Why do you think you go the extra mile? Is it because of your mother? It's a good question. It could be because of my mother. I just always saw her doing everything. Uh, and, you know, she found a way to do everything and be so casual with it. What does that mean? She comes over and hangs out with us and she'll end up doing all these things. And then by the time she leaves, you'll be like, how did she do all that stuff? And then never even mention it. And what my mom says to me is, just do it all as an offering. So she doesn't care about who thinks about this or that or what she's doing or says thank you or doesn't say anything. She's just doing it as an offering. And again, that's if I'm in the right space, that's, that's what I try to do. So it also brings me a lot of comfort because it's the only way to truly like alleviate any anxiety that you may have about something is to fully flesh it out. And then that's what allows me to be very present. Um, and so I just try to work on my fundamentals as much as possible and fully flesh something out, every single side of it. And then I can be present and extremely open to new ideas. So then when someone comes with this idea, I go, great, you know, let's see how we can incorporate it. Or I can say, I can steer them with that new proposal and say, okay, so here's what we're working towards. Here's a triangle, for instance. Let's work within a triangle, but I still want you to do what you do best. And if we can all buy into the triangle, I feel like that's my job all the time is to create the triangle. And then from outside of that, you use those pieces in the ways that they work best. But if they're kind of following the triangle, it's okay if they go to Vegas, you know, for 72 hours in the middle of the season. Have you always been such a team player? I recognized early on in hockey that I am better suited for a system. And, you know, that was the reason I was able to be on successful teams is we all just bought into like each other. And we just we moved as a pack and we were just stronger as one unit. And... That was huge for us. So for me, that's the only way I can rock because I've seen that the process for me is more enjoyable, but also the result of the process is also more enjoyable because we all have agency over it, because we also like all come together and can create something more glorious than one individual. Well, I'm almost certain that if I did this podcast just with myself, it wouldn't be as good as having done it with you. <laughs> so I appreciate you and I coming together and uh, making it happen. Before we go, yeah. and I really, uh, as you know, if you do listen, 
I don't ever do this, but since we are friends and since we can't play basketball, I'm I'm going to offer an offering, which is uh, please promote your film and, and tell people where they can find it, how they can do it. Yeah, we made a film called Body Cam with Paramount Pictures that has just been released on all uh, digital platforms, you know, Amazon, Apple, and, and whatnot. And um, you can go purchase it. It is starring Mary J. Blige and Nat Wolf, two uh, incredibly lovely humans and fantastic storytellers. And um, it's about a veteran cop chasing a supernatural cop killer. So a little entertainment, and um, I'll make some more for you down the road. Malik, thank you very much. Thanks for having me, buddy. our show special thanks today to terrence nance and malik vital if you'd like to learn more about them and their projects you can visit our site at www.talkeasypod.com be sure to rate and subscribe to our show on spotify apple podcast google podcast stitcher wherever you do your listening you can also follow us on twitter facebook and instagram at talkeasypod our executive producer is Janixa Bravo. Our associate producer, Nikki Spina. Illustrations by Krista Shenoy. Graphics by Ian Jones. Our social media is by Kiran Aftab. Our editors are Andre Lin and Kat Owen. Music by Dylan Peck and Jin Sang. And finally, the show is produced by Caroline Reebok. I'm Sam Fragoso. Thank you for listening to this bonus episode of Talk Easy. I'll see you back here on Sunday with Holland Taylor. Until then, here's a snippet from Terrence's record, Things I Never Had. Have a good rest of the week. I used to be affectionate, I've seen you cold and naked Warmed you with my kindness, we had a strong attachment It withstood the distance and the wind Lost in the sin, it was heaven from beginning to the end But don't believe what I've said, I may leave you misled Cause my dreams are very powerful and I often miss Things I never had, things I never had Things I never had, things I never had Things I never had I miss knowing your brain and where it bends I miss knowing your soul and where it lives I miss knowing your hips and emotions And I miss reading your thoughts and clairvoyant I keep expecting to turn a corner and see you there smiling But that is yet to happen, so I wonder where and when I love you very much, but I'm not sure that you exist or ever did I pray that you did live outside my head But don't believe the words that I've said Cause my dreams are very powerful and I often miss Things I never had, things I never had, things I never had, things I never had Things I never had, 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 things I never had.
The tradition of breaking tradition continues with the return of the unconventional awards from T-Mobile for Business at Mobile World Congress. This is an event that celebrates innovators whose bold actions took their industries to new places. If that sounds like you and you're a T-Mobile for Business customer, enter today. If you win, you'll be publicly honored amongst some of the most influential leaders in industry. And me, I'll be there too. Enter now at tmobile.com slash unconventional awards. See you there. Are you still searching for your perfect place to call home? Well, now is the time to buy at Fisher Homes. If you're looking to move in before the end of 2024, May could be your last opportunity to start building your dream home and close before the year's end. If you're hoping to move in even sooner, Fisher Homes also has homes that are move-in ready and waiting for you, where you can start enjoying the benefits of homeownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with a new home advisor today at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. Musora is your access to online music lessons for guitar, piano, drums, and singing. You know, I love music but I haven't picked up an instrument in years. You know why? I tell myself, I don't have time. Where am I going to find a teacher? Well, there's an answer. Musora. Musora is the place where you can learn essential skills and techniques with more than a 100 of the world's best teachers and musicians and thousands of famous songs. You get seven days totally free to try it out, and then it's just $30 per month, less than a single private lesson. Just go to musora.com, M-U-S-O-R-A.com, to start a new musical journey today.